0: to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today we welcome nobody. Nobody's my guest today. It's just me. You're stuck with just me. This is actually something I've been thinking about doing for a while. And it's because... I have a lot of stuff I want to say. I have the time I have a guest on. I'm like, Oh, I've got to listen to them talk. And I, there's so much I want to say. No, not really. I really actually love to listen to the stories from the guests. And, and that's really been the format of the show up until now is, is universally every episode up till now. I think this is episode 32. And I have a bunch of guests already scheduled for upcoming episodes. So we were certainly not abandoning the old format by any stretch, but I kind of wanted to take some time, you know, here and there occasionally to have a, conversation about topics just from my point of view or bringing up some things that you know are, are especially important to me. And today's uh, episode kind of came out of necessity because I really want to try to stick to this every other week uh, podcast release schedule. And I had somebody scheduled uh, to do a recording uh, very early on Thursday and they no showed no show, no call. And, you know, their PR people had uh, a problem communicating and then what have you. And, you know, I kind of I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, as I did prep work, you know, every every time I have an interview, uh, you know, I try to look up and make sure I understand, know the person as well as I can uh, before we have that conversation. Sometimes we have a pre call. Sometimes we don't. But in this case, you know, I was I was doing a lot of research. And and the more I did research, there was a little piece of me in the back of my head where I was like, starting to become less and less comfortable with the idea of having this person on my podcast. And it was basically because I, the, the, this person, and, and I'm not going to name names because this isn't really personal about them at all. Um, you know, and, and I absolutely, you know, see what they're doing. I wish them well. I, I I hope they, they do very well. So this is not about them personally, but it is about kind of a pattern that I see out there in some circles uh, when it comes to most things, frankly, but, uh, you know, especially in our world of, of data and leadership and, you know, this this notion of social media influencer and how if we just listen to X, Y and Z expert, we can cut all the corners. We can we can save ourselves from all the, the work and just. Be rich and retire to Bali and just work three minutes a week and have you know a million dollars a year and we'll be happy as can be. First off, that is just lunacy to begin with. First, like if you think you're just going to be happy sitting on your butt forever, I actually don't think that's the case. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have at least a significant part of you that derives your happiness, not just from what you consume, but what you create, and the impact and value that you have on your businesses and on your families and on the world as a whole—that is actually more uh, a bigger contributor to your happiness than that next thing you you know impulse buy from Amazon that shows up on. Yeah, you, know, you ever have that problem uh, where the the doorbell rings or you get the email from Amazon saying, "Hey, your your packages arrived," and you're like, "What the heck?" Did I order? What in the world is that package on the thing? Was it a gift? Did somebody buy me something or was it like, what is it? Oh man, it's just coffee. You know? So it's like, that happens to me like weekly. And I realize like, though I, you know, maybe coffee is a bad example. I really love the coffee, but at the end of the day, like that's not happiness, happiness. And and when we look back and the older I get, you know, the older I get, the more I care about how do I look back on my career and say, yeah, I, I made good use of my time. You know, I, I'm I'm proud of what I did. I, I provided for my family and all that stuff. That's table stakes. You got to do that one way or another. And, and those of us who have that covered but are looking for more, that's going to be really important is to be able to look back on your life's work and say, yeah, I'm really proud of what I did there. Um, for me, that was a big problem uh, early in my career. I spent the first decade or so of my career doing data stuff, like good functional learning, building applications, data warehousing, and all that in the financial industry. And for the most part, I was just making rich people richer. And that's, you know, not quite the kind of impact I want to leave on this world, right? So over time, I've been able to, to migrate my career. And I certainly value the time that I had some developed some great relationships and, and worked for some great companies. Um, but my calling was something else. And and I did consulting and that was really, I you know, Opened my eyes widely to what was available out there. And, you know, eventually that led me to other, um, journeys of my career. And so, you know, for, for but that, that relationship, that, you know, journey is very personal and, and what you care about and what you want to do. Just the, the advice I would have is just be honest about that with yourself and determine, Hey, am I contributing my life's work to something that at the end of the day, I'm not going to be proud of? Because if that's the case, then, you you need to do something else, right? So, anyway, getting back to this this influencer who no-showed on me, uh, they uh, you know their whole shtick is hey, become a data scientist and you'll make a ton of money and you'll be able to live wherever you want. And there may be nuggets of truth in that, but man, it sure made it sound easy. I'm like, I want to be a data scientist now. I want to go, you know, live in Bali. I mean, who doesn't like the ocean view, right? But the fact is, is that data's hard. This stuff is not simple. And quite frankly, acting like it is, is a disservice to everybody involved. This is very difficult stuff. Using data and and trying to pluck out meaningful and actionable insights from whatever analysis you're doing. That's really difficult. You know what's even harder? Getting that to matter. It's so hard To actually take good insights and turn it into something that turns into value for your customers, for your business, for for the people who can benefit from that knowledge that you gain. It is not enough to sit in your room, in your office, in your house in Bali and come up with great thoughts that you don't act upon. And later in this episode, we're actually going to read an excerpt from my book. Uh, that kind of covers that and is one of the best lessons, um, that I ever learned kind of randomly. And so that's something that we'll, we'll cover in a little bit. Um, so the, the key thing here is, is just recognize that what you're signing up for, and and it doesn't matter really where on the data leadership continuum you land, what matters is that fundamentally everything we have to do is take some idea and have that change people's behavior and the outcomes that come from it. And that leads us to what we call data value. And data value is exactly that. It is that difference between the outcomes we get, the final outcomes we get from the what we're doing before we apply some sort of change driven by data, and what we do once that change has been applied. It's not that complicated really and that that actually works in so many contexts that's why the whole data leadership topic kind of whittles down to a pretty simple concept underneath which is is also kind of mind-blowing it's like do we not realize what we're trying to do here with data science do we not realize what data governance is actually all about it's all about facilitating better use of data which leads to better results for a business which leads to better business outcomes and if we lose sight of that, and it's fine to talk about the details, but when we lose sight of that completely, we have no real basis and understanding of what's important about what we're doing and, and why what we're doing should be this versus that. Um, and, and that I've seen people who, who have literally gone their entire careers, not knowing whether or not what they did mattered at all. You know, I think there's plenty of people who've gone through their entire careers knowing very well that what they did didn't matter at all didn't actually change a single thing and in the bigger organization you work for the more likely that is i mean it, it's really kind of a shame that we don't have clearer visibility into that right so you know if this is the kind of thing that you're interested in and and we talk about a lot of different topics here and i really try to bring in you know, topics that are relevant, not just to those data management practitioners, but also to a broader business leadership audience, because quite frankly, that's what our you know outcomes are driven by. If we're talking about data in our own little vacuum and we don't have the leadership that's non-data specific listening to us as well, uh, how much are we going to do in terms of this impact and change business? Like, we're just not going to have that much influence right and so you know it's it's there's a couple things to that we can talk about as it pertains to that in in our organizations and so i i have a job now like i don't even do consulting anymore i used to do i did consulting for a little over a decade and quite frankly it's not for me <laughs> i've i've kind of learned that over the years is that consulting is really you know, it's something that I can do. It's something that I I have done and, and I, I could be moderately successful. But the fact is, is that at the end of the day, I like being in the mix with an organization and in the long term. And and I realized with data, a lot of stuff takes the long term to really achieve. And so it was very hard for me as a consultant that had to go in for a project anywhere from a couple of weeks to, you know, many months, you know, sometimes uh, you know, a year or more that duration was always limited and it was usually limited due to financial constraints or due to scope of a project or to internal approvals and strategy or you name it. Right. But it always ended before we were able to fully realize that change. I always had to hand it off to the customer and have them take it and run with it. And so I geared my practice towards doing just that, giving them the tools they need to be able to take it in and move forward. And I think that that leads to the right kind of relationship between a business and consultants, you know, I think consultants play an incredibly important role because developing all the skills that you need to do this stuff well internally, even in large organizations, very difficult. And if you have great people, they're already going to be overwhelmed with a ton of work. Most of the time, they're going to be going at capacity all the time. So you can leverage consultants and being able to kind of, create higher peaks and and valleys and and manage your resources more according to the need of your queue of change management that you have and really all consultants are change management oriented in the first place you know it's all about transforming a business's capabilities in some way or another you know it's not just data consultants it's kind of any consultant right that's their whole point they become very specialized or very knowledgeable in their particular field and if we can plug into that knowledge and make our organizations better that's way better from a cost benefit perspective than trying to train all of our people to learn it for the first time, do it once, hope we get it right, and then move on to the next thing, right? So the consultant role is actually very um, useful. The problem is, is that consulting has become a a flawed profession in, in many ways because it goes back to what my frustration was is that the consulting projects all end probably sooner than they really should. And so consultants become experts, it, it really adept at continuing their existence within a client. And like they, that becomes half the, the battle. Half the job is, oh, how can I sell more work here so I can keep billing hours, so I can keep getting paid so that we you know have a business, right? Our, our consulting firm needs to have billable time to continue to exist. And it's a big challenge because – it can lead to misaligned incentives it can lead to uh, a consulting firm trying to do things on their own behalf that are actually counter to the productivity of their clients and that's a, a problem you know it, it, and you know, you can talk about the ethics you can talk about the um you know, the implications of that. But the fact is, is that when you're hiring consultants, you have to recognize that there's not perfect alignment and the incentivization, that's okay. That's necessary actually for consulting to work. And that really though comes back to the leadership that we need to bring into our organizations and into our businesses and, and make sure that the outcomes and the change that is being, uh, you know, shepherded to whatever extent by our consulting firms is actually led And ultimately controlled by the people inside the organization. And that's where I think a lot of organizations lose their effectiveness in leveraging consultants is because they let the consultants do too much driving. And I've seen that firsthand many times where the consultants, you know, because they're experts, they want to run at their speed, not at the client speed. And so they'll just keep going. They'll change everything. They'll do all the work. And then the contract will end. And they spend all their time working on building these transformations. And then there's no time left for training and a handover and changing the responsibility set from the consulting team to the client organization. And if we don't have a really solid relationship there and ability to hand off what ends up happening, well, you might extend because you need to get that knowledge in house somehow. And so You know, if you can extend, if you have the financial resources to extend, then maybe uh, that's a good plan. But a lot of times things just end and all that good work of the consultants just becomes a victim of entropy and it just kind of dissolves. I mean, how many projects have you Is so true of of consulting strategy projects? Right. The consulting strategy projects is classic. Right. You're going to you're going to do the strategy so you can define what that future state should be. And the client will be on board and be like, yes, we are going to do some future state and we're going to get there and we're going to do the project or whatever. And then it comes time to budget season. They're like, yeah, you got no dollars for that one. You have no way of doing that project. So what ends up happening? All of those great strategic recommendations, let's, I mean, let's assume those were perfect recommendations. They probably weren't, but they, like they were probably pretty good. They all get nowhere because there's no ability to execute on the client organization side. And when that happens, all the work is wasted. You should, you're almost better off not having done it at all. And so that's, you know, that can be a frustration, a very valid frustration, I might, I might add, on the consulting side is to say, well, if the client can't or won't dedicate enough resources to doing this right the right way, they probably shouldn't have hired us in the first place. How many consulting firms do you know that would actually do and say that, right? That, hey, you know what? If you can't execute on this, if you can't allocate another half a million dollars or $20 million or whatever the number is, if you can't do that, you probably shouldn't even talk strategy about this because you're just going to get nothing out of it. You know, consulting firms are not going to do that. They're going to say, hey, you know, let's let's get going. We'll figure out the next phase later. You know, the the client organization is probably thinking the same way. It was like, "Okay, well, let's just do this hundred thousand dollar strategy or whatever it is, and and they'll go in and do that, you know, in good faith but it's billable work for the consulting firm, even just for whatever amount of time it takes to do the strategy project. And the client gets good ideas. The worst are when the client already had all the ideas, but nobody's listening to them inside their organization. So the consulting firm comes in and basically just regurgitates all the ideas that the client already had. But now because, you know, it's, we called it the, the laptop bag effect, right? You come in, a lot of times you're flying into a client you've got your, your nice suit and all of that. And the client will listen to you as a consultant instead of their own people who know the business way better than you do. And that's an important point as well, is that our businesses are complex. Our businesses, by definition, are a little bit different at minimum from every other business, right? Now, there's probably a lot of patterns, and that's where a consultant can come in and learn the patterns and, and be very effective. But our businesses... Are our businesses? They are. They are unique to us. The players, the people involved, the particular products, the particular services. Those are all things that are unique to our particular organizations, and we know it better than anybody from the outside ever will. You know, so that's something too, is to remember that we know our businesses better than anyone else. Now, what we don't have in many in many circumstances are all of the skills to accomplish the change that we need to accomplish. This is why the consulting firms can be extremely helpful in plugging and bridging that gap on the skill side because it's it's way too hard to build that skill set internally for a one use only type of endeavor. So we bring in a consultant, we leverage that skill set, and then we ultimately benefit from the collective change. That's how it should work in theory, but oftentimes it goes a bit sideways. And we have to have the willingness and and the the strength in our leadership uh, across the entire vertical organization and in our businesses to say, wait, 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 let's put our consultants where they need to be, understand what that relationship should be and make sure that we drive towards that because, and believe me, I know this firsthand, you know, it is so easy to say, Hey consultant, can you take this on? Because we're so strapped and we're moving in a million directions internally. And there's all these other uh, circumstances. At least the consultant can get it done. But every time you do that, You incur a little bit of of, kind of a consulting services equivalent of technical debt, right? You are basically saying, I will take on that future need to transition whatever it is that they're about to do. And knowing that they probably aren't going to do it exactly the way you would do it or exactly the way your organization would do it if it had the internal skills. But if they do that, you know, at some point you're going to need to take ownership of that and control of that going forward. Otherwise, you are going to be entrusting more and more of the success of your organization to outside entities, which go back to what we talked about earlier, a misalignment of incentives. They are not perfectly aligned. So what a consulting firm thinks you should do is not exactly what you should do in some cases because you have more knowledge and you have a different set of incentivizations and how you should act. Right. So things to think about. These are things that are come back up. They're themes that I, I've i seen in my career. And because I've gone between industry side operational responsibilities and, and making sure that something runs for a long period of time. And I've been the tornado that comes in as a consultant and changes a bunch of stuff and hopes that the client is better off for it. In the end, you know, I hope that this kind of conversation here um, you know, helps you realize that first off, there's no magic. Consultants are not you know, geniuses that know everything, right? The the joke in the consulting circles is that you have to be 30 minutes ahead of your client, right? And that's, it's it's flippant and it's, it's you know, troubling, but it's actually true in some cases is that you need to be constantly learning so that you can be ahead of where your client is so that you can guide them the right way. That's That's part of the business model. Let's not ignore that. But the fact is, is that our consulting... You know, practices in, in how they actually manifest in organizations can often be um, suboptimal and, and there are no quick fix solutions. And so when I come back and I say, OK, I've seen the quick fix solution in consulting doesn't work. And I think back to like this, this um, podcast guest that, that didn't show up and their whole thing is like, it's simple. No, it's not. It's not simple. It's really tough. You know these are these are difficult things, and and I think if you're a listener of this podcast, right, you know um, that I am. And the, there's you know a joke that like Bob Siner has been a frequent guest. He always says, "You know, you're just not passionate enough." And quite frankly, you know, I, 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 I it's obvious. Like I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm passionate about so much of this stuff all the time, and in large organizations, it can be exhausting. It can, it can be exhausting trying to corral all of the dynamic complexity of these change um, transformation efforts and these uh, consulting relationships and these different um, perspectives and points of view, but it's, it's worth doing. But I, you know, one of the things that I've, I'm trying to do better now, and I'm struggling with quite frankly, is that I can't be that tornado all the time. Like I wasn't consulting. And now that I'm in an industry role, I have to, you know i want to bring that passion i want to bring that sense of urgency and bring that need to do things right and to align the align the incentives and and what have you but it can also be exhausting i mean i think you know it it's it's something that i'm i'm continuing to try to get better at and learn from um and it's it's not easy for me um it's something where i have to like take a step back take a breath and work within it because there's a long term play here Um, it's, it's a really long-term goal that we have in mind and we have some time, but there's deadlines and there's big project demands. There's huge investments and there's, you know, a want to make sure that we are good stewards of the dollars and, and the time and the energy that's being put forth by so many people. Um, you know, I, I won't change who I am and, and being passionate about everything, but at the same rate, um you know, there's there is such a thing as caring too much and and try and, and pushing to the point of you know causing yourself health problems or causing um you know more you know difficulties long term um than you should so hey I will be the first to admit I'm not perfect I'll be the first to admit I'm still learning at this stuff and I'm an open book. I will try to share everything I can with folks on this podcast and and quite frankly I've done 31 episodes before this one. I've never had a forum like this podcast to just open up about this stuff. And I hope that by hearing it, you'll say, you know what? I can relate to that. I can understand where he's coming from. And, and you know, knowing that you're not alone in this and that we all struggle with these kinds of things, especially when we're working remotely in a pandemic and we lose that person to person contact. You know, my organization is starting to go back to the office more and more now, and I love it. I love it so much. I feel like I I was, I was remarking to some people at work. It feels like you've set up for the party and all you're doing is waiting for the guests to arrive and that there's this energy that's just pent up and it's just waiting to come back and be there again. And I can't wait for that. I miss that. I miss that interpersonal connection and more than I ever thought I did while we were dealing with the pandemic and we're working remotely. I'm like, this is working great. Like we're, we're connecting with people and we're doing all that. But even to talk to the few colleagues that, that are in the office today, um, it's, it's night and day for me. I love it so much to be with these people. And, and that's, I think part of it for me is, is how much I love this work and how much I love doing these things that can change the future success of businesses of any kind, and to know that I'm doing something that really matters is is so important to me. And that's something that, you know, I would encourage you all to think about. And it's not a matter of like working remote or not or what have you. But feel, feeling like what you're doing matters is so important. We've talked about that a little bit more. So hopefully in this conversation, you know, you're hearing some things that may resonate. Um, you know, I won't pretend I have all the answers. I just want to talk about what I observe and how I. Um, I'm trying to address some of that um, without going into too much detail or making anybody super uncomfortable with the topic. Just, you know, let's you know, continue to recognize where challenges are, how we might change them and how we'll all benefit once we do. Right. So um, one thing I want to note is that this is uh, Data Education Month over at Dataver- DataVersity. So DataVersity is a longtime partner of mine uh, where they were the publisher of my book uh on data leadership. They were also um, you know, they have a, a great online training program um set up where there's there's incredible amounts of online training available. Uh this month is Data Education Month at Dataversity and the online uh Dataversity Training Center. And if you use promo code Algman D-L-E-D-U, you can get 25% off any purchases this month. Uh, and this is also good, uh, for returning customers. So our normal promo code only works for new customers. This promo code admin edu, uh, works for anybody. So 25% off purchases during March. Okay. And so, um, again, dataversity is a, is a fantastic organization and much of their business is in the conference space. And obviously in the pandemic, conferences are, are difficult. They have enterprise data world coming up and the, they have returned to a, a registration and fee-based model for that. And it's well worth it. But as you might imagine, um, you know, attendance is going to be less, I would imagine. Um, but you know, let's support that organization who's done so much for our community. So please consider getting some training from them. Um, I'm really especially proud of my, uh, data architecture course or, or learning plan, as well as the, um, the data leadership learning plan and the um, what is series, uh, where we go through and, and in roughly fifteen to twenty minutes, talk about different topics, and those are are good, uh, especially for uh, folks that are not data management professionals. The data architecture course is one that I would say uh, is really more geared towards uh, those data ma- management professionals out there. So. I want to talk uh now. I want to read you a little bit from my data leadership book. And so this book and this is what I'm just gonna read it out on the podcast, and I can add I can add some things to it if I feel like it. Um, but I do have an audiobook version out there that I'm so proud of because if you hear the podcast, you like listening to the podcast, the book is written kind of how I talk, but you can't hear the book the way I actually talk. Like if you're just reading the pages. And so the audiobook. I took the time. It took a few weeks, and and like it was a, quite an ordeal. It was actually really interesting to learn the technical process of of recording an audiobook. But I was able to record that. And so if you if you like the podcast, you haven't read the book yet, or haven't picked up a copy of the book, or even if you got the copy of the book at a uh, conference in the past, pick up the audiobook and and listen to it. And we'll cover kind of in a much more structured format than podcasts like this experiment. Um, but it, it will hopefully hit home on some of these topics in a, in a bit more structured way, uh, than a, a more freeform podcast will. So the, the excerpt I want to read for you today is, uh, covers one of my favorite stories. I love meaningful stories. I love a- uh, analogies. I love, you know, when there's, some something tangible that teaches a lesson that's very much worth remembering, and I and I recently subject to the story is is a baseball that I purchased a, a number of years ago, and this uh, story is, is is particularly top of mind right now because in in my new office at at my day job, I uh, just put the ball in a proper display it used to just be rolling around on my desk and i would play with it throw it up to myself or whatever and that was fun but i kind of learned like this ball is now like 16 17 years old and it's starting to fade (laughs) like the 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 what was gold lettering is now blue which i'm still not exactly sure how that happened but like that's now blue and i'm like you know what i probably should now that this ball actually really means something to me i will uh i should probably take better care of it so i actually did um put it in a proper like Ball display uh, case and and little stand, so I'm happy about that. So anyway, I'll pick up and this is um on uh this starts on page 44 for anybody who wants to read along at home. So uh, the the make an impact uh, statement here is is we must constantly remind ourselves to spend less time talking about working and more time working. We won't change anything by just talking about it. It's only by putting ourselves in motion that we can hope to transform our organizations. This also means that to be successful, we will need to get people to change their behaviors. To make things a little more complicated, simply changing people's behaviors will also not be enough. Effort is not the same thing as results. This seems obvious, but do not dismiss it. Perhaps more than any other cause, time is wasted by busy people who foolishly believe that what they are doing matters. Despite having the best intentions, even the most talented among us can create negative value. This this is exemplified in how I came to have one of my most cherished office office treasures, an autographed 2005 World Series baseball, Chicago White Sox. Every organization seems to have little things about their culture that makes the place unique. At one of my former employers, this took the form of having balls that they would toss around or bounce against the walls. This could be mildly distracting, but mostly it was a little bit of simple stress relief in a pretty intense place. The balls that people owned seemed to be reflections of their personalities or what they cared about. Some had special meaning, and others were nothing more than the left-behinds of the person who used to have the office. Tennis balls, balls, and all of that. One person had this ball that he would bounce against the wall to relieve stress. And another had a football that they'd flip up in the air to themselves or toss to another while solving the world's problems. I really remember the ball because the walls were glass. You would throw the racquetball, and it would go, and it would be just echoing through the room. It scare everybody to death. Anyway, so I saw this pattern because I wanted to fit in. I was new there. I decided that I should, too, bring in a ball. And since I'm a White Sox fan, and I like to overthink even the simplest of decisions, I thought it might be fun to have a ball from the 2005 World Series, in which my beloved White Sox had their moment of glory by winning it all for the only time in my lifetime. Seeing as how it was now over a decade later, I figured that that would be the right mix of novelty and personal meaning to send the right message, beyond the one that I'm a data geek with a tendency to overanalyze everything. At the time, I did not actually own a 2005 World Series baseball, so I took to the internet to see what options I might have. A cursory evaluation on Amazon and eBay showed me what I would likely need to spend. If I wanted a plain, non-game-used baseball with the 2005 logo on it, it was running about 50 bucks. game-used or autographed balls went up from there. A real treasure, like a Paul Canerco-signed ball, was in the $350 range, and a ball signed by the entire team got obscene into four figures, way more than I was going to be willing to, to spend. My brilliant idea appeared to be unrealistic. I mean, there was no way I was spending even $50 for this silly exercise, but I did think it would be fun to own a 2005 World Series ball. So after a while, I went back to the Internet one last time to see if I could find something, anything that would be less expensive. And then I stumbled upon it. It was an authentic 2005 World Series ball for only $20, and it was autographed, no less. I thought it was a typo in the listing at first, but upon closer scrutiny, I realized that what was going on. The ball was listed by a sports memorabilia store that was traded mostly in autographed items and other interesting sports stuff that collectors pay lots of money to acquire. Everything was supply and demand based, and the prices varied wildly based on how much people were willing to pay. This is why the autographed ball was worth $20 in the market. It was signed by a Houston Astros rookie named Chris Burke. He ended up in the major leagues only for a handful of years, and his career ended in 2009. Not only did Houston lose the World Series in question, but it was signed by a person who most casual baseball fans would not recognize a decade later. The Chris Burke autographed 2005 World Series baseball may have been the best $20 I ever spent. Not only did I get the ball I knew I wanted, marred slightly by a little bit of indecipherable blue ink, but I also received a bit of wisdom that continues to guide me to this day. Adding energy to something is not the same thing as adding value. When Chris Burke signed that ball in 2005, he certainly did not intend to decrease its market value by 60%. He reasonably thought that by scribbling on that ball, he'd be giving somebody a fine memento of a special event. Oh boy, did he ever. Even today, that ball sits on my desk and I often glance over it or pick it up and toss it around while on calls or otherwise pondering some data-related challenge. And it reminds me, to carefully consider how my actions will result in real value and not cause unintended negative outcomes. Too few of our efforts are calibrated cautiously enough. It's not uncommon to see pointless meetings held, business glossaries go unused, standards and policies be ignored, or efforts stall entirely due to ineffectiveness. How many organizations have rolled out entire new platforms without proper training for staff and then are dismayed when it doesn't get the usage it deserves? We are all surrounded by folks that equate being busy with being productive, and that is simply foolish. We each must force ourselves to think about the ball we are signing in our own work, and how all of our efforts in the data world are dependent on one another. After all, the reason my autographed ball was worth so much less had nothing to do with how Chris Burke signs a baseball. By all measures, he has a perfectly fine signature, every bit as nice as Canerco's. The value of sports memorabilia derives from the outcomes achieved on the field, often the results of the energies expended throughout an entire career. It has nothing to do with the signature itself. I did not know anything about Chris Burke before finding that ball. I'm sure this is not the outcome he expected to create when signing it. Certainly, he did not predict that it would eventually become one of the most prized possessions of a White Sox fan. Playing several years of Major League Baseball is no failure by any measure. measure. But every day... When I sit down in my office to try to improve businesses with data, I see that ball perched on my desk, and every day it reminds me of an important lesson that guides everything that I do. Don't be Chris Burke. Meaning, try not to accidentally decrease value through my actions despite having good intentions. This resolves to the convenient and easy to remember acronym TNADVTMADHGI. Or just remember, don't be Chris Burke and recall this story. So that's a story I love. And it's a story I love because it's so <laughs> random. And it was one of those kind of things that never expected to have happen quite in that manner. But once it did, it quickly dawned on me how important that moment was. And it's something that I do. I literally, in the office, I put a little plaque on my little ball stand and I said, it says, don't be Chris Berg. And it really is important is that effort and energy are table stakes. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient to be good at what we're doing here. What we need to have is a total line of sight. We have to have a total contribution all the way through to manifesting and business outcomes that are positive. Right. It's not enough to work hard. It's necessary, but it's not enough. It's not enough To come up with insights from data it's necessary, but it's not enough. It's not enough even to change our behaviors and the actions as individuals. It's necessary, but it's not enough or to influence the actions and activities and outcomes of others necessary, not enough. Ultimately it's when it gets to the fundamentals of the business, you know, revenue cost, risk management. Actual measurable outcomes, that's when we can know truly whether or not we've made a difference. And it's not always linear, it's not always direct. So it's even that much harder. So that's why I have an issue with people who say it's easy. Just crunch some numbers, come up with some analysis, have a good career. I don't think that's enough. I think the more important thing is to realize that there are things you're dependent on to do this work. And there's many things dependent on you having done this work and some things that may not be in your direct control at all. And just meaning well, just signing that ball, that's kind of just the beginning. That's kind of just the start. And we want it, we desperately want it to be positive. may not always be. And the best thing we can do is just first... Try to learn whether or not it is. And then if it's not, do something better next time. And collectively, then we will end up with far more successful data-driven organizations than others. And just because our individual effort may not always succeed, you can still hang a hat on that, that, you know what, you did it the right way. And that if there were enough people doing it the right way, our organization would be transformed and that we would be extremely successful, leveraging the data assets that we have. Okay. So that's where we're at today. And, and it's really about recognizing that data leadership is so much more about leadership than it is about data. Um, and it's, and it's, it manifests in, in countless ways, infinite ways, really. And that's where I'm happy. And I would love for folks that I don't know who find this podcast or share this podcast or, or listen to it and they find some value in it. Shoot me a note at podcast at algman.com and, and let me know, like, does the solo show, you know, is that worth your time listening to on occasion? Um, it was it a complete waste. Uh, you know, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What are the, you know, we have enough of a, of a show history. Now you kind of get what this thing is about. If you listen to enough episodes, you see what we're doing. Help me get better at this myself. Help me deliver that value to you. Um, you know, this is something that I do now just purely for the love of it, purely for having that conversation and trying to fill a gap where our opportunities to get together at the conferences in person just haven't been there. And this hopefully helps us have a little bit, some sliver of that retained. And and I want to keep it going as long as I possibly can. So if you'd like to share your story or you want to provide feedback, just drop us a line podcast at algman.com. I would love to have anybody on the show. I think that there's so much value in hearing the challenges and frustrations. I tried to share some of mine today, but there's so much value in in seeing those moments, all of those moments of confusion and frustration. I mean, we could have an entire episode on imposter syndrome. I think Um, we might do that soon, actually. And you know, learning from everyone is the best way we can then bring it back to ourselves and try to find something that works best for us. So help me continue that conversation in any way you can, um, and and certainly please do subscribe or um, you know share the podcast link, share the website. Um, the more listeners we have, the more opportunities for finding great guests, and the and the more impact we can make. Right. So with that, I want to thank you. For listening and watching all of these episodes, but especially today, you know, if you, if you stuck with me this long, (laughs) I really, (laughs) you're a star. I appreciate that. Cause I don't know if this experiment's working or not. So, you know, really thank you uh, for watching or listening today. I will include some links um, and more information um, about today's topic in the show notes. Subscribe please to data leadership lessons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Algman.com to learn more about Algman data leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.